to the lost souls, the disintegrated spirits, the wanderers, the dreamers, and the seekers. Welcome to the Embodied Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. Our work in this podcast will be to foster healing, transformation, self-expression, creativity, and the development of consciousness. So with our intentions grounded firmly, let's settle in and do some integration work. So in today's podcast, I am going to share with you an academic paper I wrote for a class that I took on astrology and it was astrological hermeneutics and cosmology. So working with that type of material archetypally. And so if you've never worked at all with astrology and you don't know any of the symbolism or the meanings or anything like that, that's okay because I feel like in this in this essay that I'm going to read to you, my intention was to really take different planets and their positions and amplify the symbolism of the specific planet and and also the positions. I'm going to talk about what's called an opposition in the birth chart. And so if there are moments of this podcast that you don't understand, that's okay. But there might be little nuggets for you where you know, you resonate with the symbolism and it might encourage you to go take a look at your own birth chart or even get a reading by an astrologer. Let us just dive in and see how it goes. I'll pause along the way if I feel like I need a little bit more explanation. The essay starts out with a quote from T.S. Eliot in his book of poems called Four Quartets. He says, at the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards. At the still point, there the dance is. The intention of this podcast is to use image and myth to creatively explore this metaphorical dance found in those paradoxical aspects that Eliot writes about and and map those onto an astrological birth chart. So by intentionally honoring that still voice of the psyche, the essence of this dance of the soul is symbolized. This dance of the soul can be imagined as the spontaneous rhythmic movement of psyche. And this can be learned by attuning to myth on micro levels and macro levels. So myth teaches us how to live in accordance with our deep nature, as myths are the stories and the images that connect us to that archetypal basis of the psyche. So this teaches us as humans how to come into right relationship with the divine forces animating the cosmos at large. According to Joseph Campbell, the cosmological function of myth offers us a metaphorical map of the universe and our human place within it. Again, Campbell says that myth is the secret opening which inexhaustible energies of the cosmos pour into human cultural manifestation. So my intention here is to bring consciousness to this cosmic dance using an aspect of my own astrological birth chart. So this exploration will be grounded in the assumption that the universe is as ensouled as much as we humans are ensouled. And so with this in mind, the study of an astrological birth chart through an archetypal lens 
provides an opportunity to reanimate and deepen into these cosmological stories. So according to Rossi, archetypes are the living forces within us and astrology maps those forces symbolically. An astrological hermeneutic revivifies the separation of the human from the cosmos by offering this symbolic snapshot of the relationship between one, one's human life and the powers of the cosmos, symbolized by the heavens. So in returning to that still point of the turning world that T.S. Eliot spoke of, I personally am curious about the paradox that lives in that stillness because in the poem he was saying there is stillness yet there is simultaneously dance, the movement of the turning world. So this paradoxical rhythm of the psyche is noticed at different levels, the cosmic level, the mythic level, the physiological level, and you could go on and on. So This leads into a discussion about oppositions in astrology in the astrological birth chart because oppositions are symbolic of a cosmic paradox. So let me explain this a little bit more. So at the moment of our literal birth, the planets are positioned in a specific pattern in the cosmos. Certain planets, according to astronomical measurements, sit in very particular orientation to one another. And what can be done is that can be mapped onto what's called an astrological birth chart. And so sometimes these planets show up in opposition to one another, meaning there is a 180 degree line on this birth chart that represents a dynamic tension between two specific planets. And so just pausing here to like deepen in if you don't have any background in astrology. Well, the way that I was taught this is that we want to look at each planet as if it's its own archetypal experience. And so Saturn can symbolize the god Saturn, Kronos, Um, Jupiter symbolizing Zeus, Venus symbolizing Aphrodite, Mars symbolizing Aries, and so on and so forth. And so we want to look at, okay, so if on our birth chart there's these planets that are in opposition, you can explore like what, what gods symbolize, what divine energy is held in that image of that planet. So Robert Hahn states that whatever energies are linked by opposition in the birth chart are combined in a way that produces instability and change through conflict. So there's specific layouts on the birth chart where you can recognize, oh, this might be a conflict in my life by recognizing these, the polarity between the planets and the archetypal energy held within that and held within you. Again, this is a side note. One of the biggest things that I've learned is that an astrological birth chart isn't concretely predictive, meaning like just because you have this in your birth chart doesn't mean that it plays out, but it's archetypally predictive, meaning that there's a probability that these archetypal patterns may show up at some point in your life in order to create more consciousness to expand the relationship between self and the divine so back into the essay 
the energy associated with an opposition on a birth chart can reflect that contractive phase in that rhythmic nature of psyche. So according to Hand, thus the opposition aspect has, through the confrontations, the potential to increase the level of consciousness. So depending on, side note, depending on your uh, birth chart, you can have really tough connections between certain planets. They can feel really polar opposite, but these confrontations can bring forward, like any contractive phase in our lives, they can bring forward an increase in the level of consciousness. So rather than a smooth dynamic flow between these different planetary energies, an opposition can reflect maybe a move towards one-sided development around a particular pattern. So in this paper, I'm talking about the moon in sitting in opposition to Pluto. And so typically what happens is we we move towards one energy or the other, or we're in this kind of vicious pendulum swing between the two planets. So some of the archetypal patterns arising from opposition in the birth chart can actually reflect moments of trauma in our lives. And from that perspective, may lead to the development of specific defenses within our personality, but from another perspective, also might lead to an expansion of consciousness. If our archetypal eye can be still enough to attune to these various rhythms of psyche that are presenting themselves on this birth chart, an opposition actually opens up the symbolic dance between two different archetypal principles. So in this essay in particular, I'm exploring the opposition again in my own birth chart between a 10th house moon in Taurus sitting in opposition to a fourth house Pluto in Scorpio. So in addition to amplifying the symbolism of the moon, of Taurus, of Pluto, and Scorpio, I'm going to also highlight a few threshold moments in my life that bring these, these moments, these archetypal dimensions of the planets into direct human experience. And I really love this way of working with astrology and working with the cosmos because you really are creating a bridge between the self and the divine so the first planet we're going to explore is the moon so in beginning our planetary exploration of the moon i invite you to attune to the unique style of lunar consciousness and what i'm talking about here is we are dealing with the feminine nature of the psyche when we're dealing with the moon. So the face of the goddess we see with the moon is dependent on what phase the moon is in. So inherent in lunar consciousness is rhythms, right? You see the moon go through phases and through rhythms. And also the feminine archetypal energy goes through natural rhythms of expansion, fullness and dissolution just like moon cycles the images associated with this often are the maiden the mother the crone so this fluctuating state of yin feminine consciousness defines the circumstances and conditions under which our masculine energy can manifest so i think that's really interesting so this leads into a discussion 
and deepening into the moon energy. So this is containment in the womb-like nature that is implied when we look at the mother aspect of the moon. So when we look at the moon in astrology, we wouldn't really want to think about mother-child dynamics. So in what this means is we're connecting to that lunar feminine consciousness And so whether we're attuning to the physiological or psychological experiences of our instinctive feeling nature, the moon is going to contain it all. Where the moon is placed in a birth chart can symbolize where in our lives the primary need of feeling held, as well as a sense of belonging, a sense of security, and a sense of nourishment lie. The moon can be the fertile ground of mothering and your experience of mothering, mothering yourself or being mothered. But certain difficulties with the birth chart moon indicate that one could feel alone, alienated from, a stranger to, the physical universe, feelings like one doesn't belong within the universe. And a well-situated moon, on the other hand, signifies an individual who feels at home on the planet Earth. So if you have a difficult moon placement in your chart, you may often feel you are only justified by what you do and not by what and who you are. So the ideas of I am home, I am all right, I belong here, those are all functions of the moon's energy. So the way each person finds comfort and security in the feminine energy will be unique and will be colored by where the moon sits in your astrological chart but it's also colored by what zodiac sign the moon the planet moon sits in in the birth chart so in my birth chart the moon sits in the sign of taurus so what i'm going to do is go into explaining and exploring the myths and images that symbolize a taurus moon so if you're a taurus moon out there um, lucky you you get a deep explanation of this Um, but if you don't have your moon in taurus Um, One of the best things that I've learned in this study of astrology in this particular design is you can imagine each of the zodiac signs, so you know, like you have Libra and Scorpio and Sagittarius and Aries, all these different zodiac signs. So you can imagine those as temples, sacred temples, right? And those sacred temples are going to hold specific planets and those planets represent divine energies and so you're going to have different sacred temples in your kind of psychic makeup and when you walk into that sacred temple you're going to see a a divine presence there so for me my sacred temple of Taurus holds the goddess that represents the moon And so I'll amplify here that our sign is really kind of like the style. It's the style that that god or goddess likes to express itself. And so the moon placed in the sign of Taurus. So Taurus is an earth sign. So it's imaged most commonly by the goddess Aphrodite Pandemos. So If you're familiar in astrology in any way, um, you might know that Venus, Aphrodite, rules two signs, two zodiac signs. She rules Taurus, which is an earth sign, and she rules Libra, which is an air sign. And so 
that's Aphrodite Pandemos, the Aphrodite of the earth, so Taurus, and Aphrodite Ornia, which is the heavenly, the divine Aphrodite. So anyway, Aphrodite Pandemos, you can think of her as a symbol of the goddess who finds beauty in all things of the earth, even the beasts. So I see that as a divine potential that can hold and contain the immense instinctual energies in our earth. Eric Neumann um, has an amazing book called The Great Mother, but he writes in The Great Mother, whereas the male god in myth, usually the male hero, appears in opposition to the animal that he fights and he defeats. The great goddess, Aphrodite, as lady of the beasts, she may dominate them, but she seldom fights them. Between her and the animal world, there is no hostility or antagonism, although she still deals with wild as well as gentle and tame beasts. So this is our our what we're amplifying here is a connection to the deep sensate stratum of being. And that's Aphrodite uh, Pandemos's specialty. She has the ability to sophisticate and to find beauty that is inherent in our wild instinctual emotions and the desires that spring up from our fecund ground of being. She connects us to the creative, sensate imagination that brings with it a body-soul resonance. So all these images that I'm using are amplifying what a moon in Taurus is like. Here's a quote from Marion Woodman. When two things vibrate at the same frequency, they resonate with each other. And we too have experienced resonance within us. Moments when Everything in us said yes to something or someone, an embrace, a piece of music, a new opportunity, an exquisite scene, or there are moments when everything in us said no. And these are occasions of body-soul resonance. So body-soul resonance is a form of feminine embodied receptivity to the animated quality of being. So in the human body, in particular, we connect to Aphrodite's sensate wisdom via attuning to the animation of the cells, the ligaments, and the muscles that bind and weave together to create a particular rhythm in order to move through the world. While this rhythm is wholly unique to the individual, it's at the same time a reverberation of the lunar melody of the cosmos. So this lunar consciousness sees that wisdom and intelligence are not just housed in the brain but there's a deep intelligence to every single strand of being and hillman writes about this aesthetic sensibility the sensate intelligence when he writes this is the displayed intelligibility of things their shapes their sounds speaking to and through our hearts reactions responding to the looks and the language tones and the gestures of the things that we move among. And so for me, in this essay in particular, I wanted to explore trauma and the, and the Taurus moon. How is trauma connected to a Taurus moon? Because for me, going into the trauma field and working with the sensate experience of the body, I wanted to explore this a little bit. And so I found that the personal mother and the primary caretaker are traditionally the one that is serving as the vessel 
through which those numinous archetypal powers of Aphrodite, Pandemos move through. Or if your moon is not in Taurus, it's the the energies of that archetypal great mother. Our personal mother is the one who um, titrates those numinous energies. It's a transformer in, of energy. I know I've spoken about this in, in previous podcasts, but instead of having the 100,000 volts of numinous archetypal energy, the the personal mother kind of transforms that energy down to make it more digestible and receivable. And so what that means is if you had a traumatic relationship with a personal mother, whether that was an unconscious or conscious trauma, this has the potential to pull an individual right out of that aesthetic heart that Aphrodite Pandemos really um, symbolizes. And this can imprison an individual in the grip of what Marion Woodman would call the archetypal death mother. So where Aphrodite Pandemos on the positive side opened up this kind of life-giving, nurturing ground of being, the death mother metaphorically turns to stone anything resembling a life-breathing element of the psyche. So where in the realm of Aphrodite Pandemos, there's cultivation, flow, rhythm, beauty, and love. In the death mother, there's imprisonment in the narrow cyclical patterns of survival-based ways of adapting to the world. And I imagine a confrontation with the death-dealing side of Aphrodite to resemble experiencing the numinous powers of the goddess without that personal mother transformer. It's the undifferentiated form of the goddess. It's the oceanic side of Aphrodite. And to a young infant or a child, this undifferentiated archetypal energy springing from the cosmos between the heavens and the earth can feel incredibly overwhelming. So if those primary lunar needs mentioned above aren't met and the physical mother is herself disconnected from the nature of the moon and her moon, a child can experience the archetypal feminine as anxiety provoking and gives off a sense of fear or dread in relationship to the feminine. So while this womb-like state of mother and the moon has the potential to be a really nurturing matrix and a holding space for our creative potentials, it can very easily feel like a dangerous metaphorical minefield of terrifying energies of chaos. And early exposure to this chaos can feel extremely unrestrained to a young infant or child. So in order to survive, the child learns to value and identify with solar consciousness, with the masculine side of the psyche, which, unlike the moon, shines brightly in the light of day. So this masculine or solar consciousness is more concerned with that steady, eternal movement towards the light, whereas the moon is concerned with flux and change and cycles and the wisdom that is found in the darkness. So many personal mothers who do not have the capacity to hold up a reflective mirror to the child can, whether it's done intentionally or unintentionally, drown the child in this oceanic volume of undifferentiated unconscious material. So if this archetypal drama plays out around a literal birth of a child, there is a great possibility that many of the symbolic rebirth moments in their lives any moment that requires the crossing of a threshold will constellate this 
flooding of oceanic volume of material. And so I want to go into talking about one other aspect that is key to many myths around Taurus and the images around Taurus, and that's the archetype of sacrifice. So an act of sacrifice opens up a space for deep embodied relationship to the sacred ground of being. We're honoring that sacred earth. And we're called to be stewards of that psychological ground in order to make it beautiful. So to honor these fertile, fecund grounds of the earth mother that rules the moon in Taurus, one must consider how sacrifice is an essential element to the mythic structure. In many great mother myths, there is a sacrifice via castration to the sun lover, to the masculine principle. I imagine this to be a sacrifice of the compensating masculine consciousness within the psyche who on one hand loves the mother and simultaneously on the other hand holds a deep fear of her. So Hillman amplifies here that death is wholly envisioned within the cycle of fertility within this kind of motif. So in order to restore an adequate balance of feminine conscious, the psyche constellates lunacy via descent, dismemberment, sacrifice, or castration. And again, Eric Neumann writes, to the masculine that experiences this force that violates him as something not of his own, but something other, alien, and therefore it's feminine. And this is true in all transformations that the masculine undergoes, whether he's transformed into an animal or into a lower, but in its own way, perfect form of life. Whether he loses his specific principle and is castrated, he fulfills this function of the feminine. So what I'm saying here is that if our feminine consciousness of the psyche is not acknowledged, an experience of sacrifice will be required. And so most often we learn how to consciously make our sacrifices to the gods by first being sacrificed to the gods. And to expand on this, I'm going to amplify the symbolism via the planet Pluto, which sits in opposition to my moon and my birth chart. So Pluto symbolizes the archetypal qualities of death and rebirth transformations. So no planet is a better representation for the archetypal experience of death than Pluto. Pluto is known as the archetype of death and resurrection. He's the abductor out of out of the mundane boundaries of the everydayness of reality. He symbolizes a psychological rape of immature consciousness in order to force new realities upon the psyche. So the Plutonian archetypal force symbolized by the image of Hades, who is the god of the underworld, seizes, abducts, carries off by force any aspect of consciousness that needs transformation in the underworld. And our first abduction into the underworld may come very early in life for some of us and may be experienced as overwhelming. It comes as a violation, a dragging. One is out of life and into the void of day, as Hillman would say. The descent into the underworld is also an opportunity to develop an underworld perspective. Hillman says that for death is the most profoundly radical way of expressing this shift in consciousness. This perspective, as Hillman writes, takes the image as all there is. Everything else vanishes and can't be introduced into the underworld until it becomes like the underworld. For we cannot see the soul until we experience it. And so I 
I wanted to add in here another poem by T.S. Eliot. I feel like it's really symbolic of these underworld experiences. He writes, I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope. For hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. Yet there is faith. But the faith and the love and the hope are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light, and the stillness the dancing. Not lost, but requiring, pointing to the agony of death and birth. So with the moon in Taurus, which is ruled by Aphrodite, one, again, is looking for that personal mother who has a mirror that can reflect back their sense of self. So this early mirroring contributes to a sense of a secure attachment with the feminine, and it would allow an individual to see themselves as valuable. Yet, if that mirroring is missing, a descent into the underworld will be required for that child. And it's here where we stumble upon the deeper meaning of the journey into the depths of Pluto. Hillman says that when the bottom falls out, we feel only the black abyss of despair. But this is not the only way to experience this mytheme. Through his forceful abduction, one is exposed to many different forms of mirroring. Hillman says that this descent is like entering into a mode of reflection mirroring that suggests that we may enter into the underworld by means of reflection, by pausing, by pondering, having a change of pace or glance, dropping our levels. So this mirror of the underworld points to a mirror of paradox. And through that paradox, we can later find a recognition that love and death actually sit closer on a spectrum than what we think that they do. Let's go into Pluto and Scorpio here a little bit. So often, like Pluto, the water sign of Scorpio is deeply misunderstood given its associations with the death of the ego. So Scorpio is the sign and Pluto is the planet. So Scorpio is a water sign, just background context. So if the experiences surrounding Scorpio involve ego death and painful sacrifices that drag one to the bottom of the metaphorical well, one may have a hard time analyzing these experiences using rational consciousness. And although encounters with our scorpionic depths are hard to rationally understand, this doesn't mean that the potential for deep renewal through descent isn't available. So going deep and being pulled into those scorpionic realms belong to the theme of confrontation with the dark, destructive, instinctual forces that are all a part of our nature. The trouble with confronting these darker forces, like I mentioned above with the death mother, it comes when these forces are incredibly uncontained. And so this is where I imagine that scorpionic descent being like dropped into a well. But the thing is, in Celtic mythology, sacred wells were points of access to other worlds, and their water had magical and healing properties. So although the well is often incredibly deep, the circular nature of the image of the well implies that it has a place in the totality of our whole experience. And if imagined forward, the well can be seen as a deep and potent cauldron of potential mystical transformation. 
And Neumann writes, for the cauldron is not only a vessel of life and death, renewal and rebirth, but inspiration and magic. Its transformative character leads through dissolution and death to the ecstatic intensification and birth of the eloquent spirit as a symptom of rebirth, and that leads to ecstatic inspiration, to vision, and to word. Many of these ecstatic states of Scorpio's healing depths reflect mystical union with the axis point of the soul, the axis mundi, that still point of the turning world. Through a shamanic lens, initiation into the depths and the mysteries was an experience that constellated a shift in your ontological reality. So this change in perspective moves us to, it moves the wondrous state of psyche from out there to an embodied, animated sense of the world as inherent in being in itself. It moves from out there to in here. And these shifts in ontological reality due to Pluto's abductions into the underworld have the potential to reconnect us with that aesthetic heart that is so Taurian in nature that we once got separated from. So these experiences can evoke a sense of awe, a sense of terror, a sense of dread, and a sense of wonder because they're religious experiences. They rebind what once sat in opposition towards a dynamic, meaningful union. So I just explored thoroughly the archetypal amplifications of what I imagine the the oppositions between Moon and Pluto to symbolize. And of course, this is going to be unique to each individual. But personally, my first conscious descent into the underworld was following a painful betrayal by a close friend and a lover. So when this happened, I thought it would have shattered me. It brought me face to face with that death-dealing face of the feminine and her consort, what Marion Woodman calls the demon lover archetype. But rather than remaining stuck in projecting all of this demon lover energy onto the literal person who betrayed me, the underworld descent forcefully held up a mirror to me. Here, I realized the whole abusive relationship was a painful mirror into the terrifying and abusive environment of my own unconscious. This betrayal opened up the demons and the darkness that had been dissociated from consciousness from very early in my life. Like Dante's ninth icy circle of hell, in this experience I was forced into facing the frozen affect of prenatal trauma. So this betrayal drove me into Jungian analysis and eventually into Pacifica to get my PhD. And while this frozen affect thawed from the physiological free state, I had terrifying nightmares, active imaginations of drowning in womb states, getting stuck in the birth canal, as well as dreams of small animals getting dismembered by large and vicious animals. And so as the engagement with this inner world of images continued, I eventually went to Costa Rica and participated in a plant medicine ceremony. And in this plant medicine ceremony, I was not only exposed to the type of love that I'd never consciously experienced before in my life, I was also very rapidly dropped into a mysterious abyss. The amount of terror and dread I experienced at the sight of wherever I ended up was enough to catapult me into a white ethereal realm. I literally passed out from the sight of this abyss, this terrifying place, and woke up to the voice of the shaman saying, her soul is trying to leave her body. 
And what I remember of that experience is a feeling resembling electrocution. I was violently being thrown between waking consciousness and this white ethereal realm. And eventually, I was able to take a deep gasping breath and woke up in the arms of the shaman holding me like an infant. So after spending many months, actually years, integrating this experience, I feel as if this experience opened up a conscious confrontation with the death and rebirth motifs that I spoke about in the podcast. So this, in addition to the active work with images in my analysis, led me to feel as if this experience, this plant medicine experience, was actually a reenactment of what the infant version of me experienced when I came into this world. So in the book, Aspects in Astrology, Sue Tompkins says that moon-pluto aspects involve, so connections between moon, the planet the moon and the planet Pluto, involve very primal feelings. She reports that those with moon-pluto combinations often have an emotional life resembling a Shakespearean tragedy, dark, foreboding, full of seething undercurrents that are ready to erupt at any moment. So despite the pain involved in bringing to consciousness this pre-verbal trauma, it has led me into a deeper relationship with the tensions between the moon and Pluto within my personal psyche. It is as if the individual with moon-Pluto emphasized in their chart is fated to embody, work with, and transform some of the deeply rooted instinctual feelings that are common to all of us, perhaps even the collective unconscious. These death and rebirth initiations have been like cosmic defibrillators shocking me back into life and into love. With great devotion to embodiment of these inner images, they have led me towards an innate felt sense of the world, accessing physical sensations, imagery, and motor patterns that in turn expand my internal resources to aid in the healing of past traumatic events in my life. So this has taught me to trust the innate wisdom of the psyche and the soma. This has also given me the ability to discriminate fear and terror separate from love. And this allows more space for Aphrodite to make her claim on my heart, teaching me that there is life and death and love in the darkest recesses of the psyche. I included this quote here from Marie-Louise von Franz because I just think it's really it's a beautiful, it's really a beautiful quote explaining the individuation process. So she says that the process of individuation is a process of inner growth to which one is attached. One cannot get away from it. If one says no to it and does not accept it, then since you're not in it, it grows against you. And then it is your inner growth that kills you. This means that if a person is completely infantile and has no other possibility, then not much will happen. But if the person has a greater personality within, that is, a possibility of growth, then the psychological disturbance will come. That is why we always say that a neurosis is a positive symptom in a way. It shows something in you wants to grow. It shows the person is not right in his or her present state. And if growth is not accepted, then it grows against you at your expense. Then there is what might be called negative individuation. Inner maturing and growth goes on unconsciously and ruins the personality instead of healing it. There is no other choice. It is a destiny which has to be accepted. And this has led me into a career as a somatic experiencing practitioner who works intimately with sensations and images, movements, emotions, myths, 
and energetic patterns that are frozen in the cells of the body. This career, I feel, bridges Pluto's presence in the fourth house, which is the house of conscious connection to the deep layers of the collective unconscious, as well as infant and prenatal experiences, to the moon's presence in the 10th house. So the 10th house symbolizes the conscious mind reaching out to act in the external world. This exploration that we've gone on today began with an acknowledgement of the paradox that exists within the oppositions, within us, within nature. And by weaving together these various images of the moon, the mother, Aphrodite, Pluto, this essay has highlighted the insights and reflections that might come about by holding the images of the fecund, instinctual, creative ground of the earth mother alongside those of the dark, transformative undercurrents that are found in the underworld. So by honoring the psychological initiations into the depths of the psyche, we can internalize our experiences of these two realms, feeling our way into the heights and depths of death, both large and small. We may find joy and praise, learning to value human brokenness into a gold that mends and heals our broken pots. To amalgamate the darkness found in the underworld depths of Pluto, Alongside the beauty that belongs to Aphrodite, it feels only fitting to me to end this essay with a poem by Rilke. My intention is to lay this poem on the sacrificial altar and give thanks to the divine for all of the potential meaning to be gathered along this cosmic journey. And this poem goes as such. Only you who dare to lift the lyre inside the inner labyrinth and maze, will find the pathway back into light of endless gratefulness and praise. Only you, who on death's bitter flowers have slept and fed, will sing a living song to what was given up for dead. What shimmers on the pain between the worlds will quickly slip away, internalize what you behold. When born of these two worlds, our words and ways become more valuable than gold. So thank you guys for listening to my academic essay on the moon and Pluto and astrology. I think astrology has, is, is a really interesting study when it's looked at through this imaginal, symbolic, and archetypal lens. I think it, it really does have a lot to offer to us in coming into re- right relationship with these energies that move move unconsciously so if you guys have any questions about the podcast about this particular way of looking at astrology feel free to join my free community and there there's a board where you can ask questions and i will be sure to answer those for you so with that being said we will talk on sunday bye guys